Welcome to Islam for Christians. This is episode 105, Biblical Figures in Islam, part 18, The Sources, part 2, The Proto-Evangelium of James. The Proto-Evangelium of James. What a great name, Proto-Evangelium. So what is that? The word itself basically means the first gospel, the before gospel, which is actually accurate, sort of, because it focuses on material that comes before most of the material that is in the canonical gospels. So the Proto-Evangelium of James, or the Gospel of James, which is much less fun to say, but certainly shorter. It's a before gospel, or it claims to be, and it comes from a, a very similar time as the infancy gospel of Thomas, which we went over earlier. In the infancy gospel of Thomas, the part we covered was the very small part of it that may or may not have made it into the Quran. And the Proto-Evangelium of James, or the Gospel of James, it's the other one of the early, and by early I mean the first few centuries after Christ. So it's one of the early apocryphal Gospels that are, let's say, Islamically relevant. And as we go later in time with these apocryphal Gospels, We'll get to later ones. This isn't one of them, but just keep in mind for the future, there is a bit of a controversy of whether they are sources for the Quran or arguably the Quran is a source for them. And the reason is because the last two apocryphal gospels that we will do, which is the Gospel of Pseudo Matthew and the got the Arabic infancy gospel, sometimes called the Syriac infancy gospel, they were written very very close to the lifetime of Muhammad. The question is, was it before him or after him? But this episode, before we get to that, I'm trying to stay roughly chronological with these sources. So we will go over one more writing that is undoubtedly, indisputably, much, much older than Muhammad. And like I've said a few times, this document is called the Proto-Evangelium of James or the Gospel of James. And who is James? James is about as unspecific of a name as you can choose if you're talking about people who were sort of in Jesus's orbit back in the day. So which James is this? Who is claiming to be the author? I mean, it's in the text itself who the author claims to be. The author, even if it is a lie, is claiming to be the James. I'm talking about the relative, possibly even brother or half-brother of Jesus himself, or Jesus's older brother from Joseph, <laughs> Joseph when he knew Mary, regardless of where your beliefs may be on that. I'm talking about the same James who has an epistle in the Bible. So there's a lot of authority behind that name. And it is called the Gospel of James, but 
it has pretty much nothing to do with James. And full disclosure, he almost surely, almost 100% surely did not write this. And he had little to do with it. Uh, you know, it's not like someone say, oh, hey, here's this writing of James. I'll put it on something. Well, probably not. It looks like his name is just on it for apostolic street cred. You know, some kind of link to the apostles to give it authority. Which it never, in the end, received. Because the church rejected this gospel with extreme prejudice. It was likely a forgery by someone who wanted to make a particular point about Mary. And the origin is usually considered to be somewhere in Syria around the year 150. Now, James, the actual James, he died in Jerusalem in 62. And I'm, he may or may not have ever made it to Syria. But no actual apostle or anyone who knew the apostles attested to this gospel. I mean, very few people, I mean, maybe almost zero, connect this to James the Righteous, which was uh, the James's sort of official name. And also, it's not really connected to any of the other Jameses in early Christian circles. I mean, no one, really. I mean, in any book by a secular scholar, they agree with the church. James is not the author of this thing. Not a chance. Again, there's a reason the four Gospels are the four Gospels. It's not a random selection. But we are not talking about the canonical Gospels. So, arguably, some of the stories of Mary and the infant Jesus that you will find in the Quran probably have their origin here in this document, at least from a literary perspective. And later... In the Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew, kind of a later rehash of the same material. So this material was used by various sects. And that's S-E-C-T-S, <laughs> sects. And while the official church disagreed with much of this material, still, these stories continue to have life and influence. And like I said in the last episode, what is the gospel? That word meant different things and probably even different stories depending on where you were and depending on whether there was an organized church in the area that would educate Christians and that had the authority to stamp out heretics. Arabia had no such thing. A Byzantine Christian would have been utterly mystified by some of the stories about Jesus found in the Quran and in the Hadith. But obviously, or most likely, those stories were around. They came from somewhere. The Quran isn't really claiming to make them up. It sounds more like it's referencing them. So they were obviously there. And I'm telling you about the earliest sources of these stories, of these concepts. So let me give you a brief overview of this document, of the Gospel of James, or the Proto-Evangelium of James. 
then I'll highlight the parts that arguably made it into the Quran. The first five chapters, there are 25 chapters total. The first five go over how Mary's mother was sterile and how an angel came to her and told her she would have a child. Sound familiar? It must run in the family. Then again, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a motif we see a few times in the Bible. There's nothing shocking or super new there. And Mary is seen as a pure child from the very start. And she's taken to the temple, and the priests love her. At age 12, they decide that she should get married. And Joseph basically wins her in a lottery. You can see we're really veering from the standard biblical story here. And then, a few years later, eventually the angel comes to her. She is overshadowed by God, and she conceives Jesus. And it says she's 16 at this time, by the way. It actually gives an age, which is interesting. So then she's six months pregnant, and Joseph comes home. He comes home. Where was he? Well, Joseph had been out and about building things for a long time. So he comes back, and he sees what's going on. And, of course, he freaks out, as many people would. But an angel sets him straight in a dream. Oh, I should mention, uh, she had been made a virgin of the temple by this time. You know, in this story, she had been consecrated in this role while Joseph was away. So this was doubly scandalous. So Joseph believes Mary. But the temple is another problem. Because this is obviously a very big deal. And now Joseph is the one in trouble. Mary doesn't have to just worry about Joseph. She has to worry about the temple authorities. Because now they're probably going to think Joseph is the one who impregnated Mary. So they give him, they give Joseph the water test. Um, this is a very old Testament thing. Basically, you drink some cursed water. You go away for a while, and if you don't die, you're innocent. So Joseph passed, and he and Mary left the temple, seemingly okay. And then came news of the famous census, and Mary and Joseph go to a cave in Bethlehem, and they find a midwife to give birth. Jesus is born, and Joseph tells the midwife that Hey, did you know that a virgin just gave birth here? And at this point, it gets a bit graphic. I mean, not a bit graphic, a lot graphic. Seriously, if you have if you have this on in the background, send the kids away for a minute or two or, or skip ahead a bit because this will be really, really hard to explain. It's PG-13 at best. It would be R-rated or worse were it on video. Okay, ready? Seriously, get the kids out of here. All right, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so this is a nativity scene you've certainly never heard, I'm sure. The midwife 
sounding an awful lot like Thomas after the resurrection. Seriously, these are almost the exact words of doubting Thomas in a different context. And seriously, this is what it actually says. The midwife says, As the Lord my God lives, unless I insert my finger and examine her, I will never believe that a virgin has given birth. Yeah, it's probably better that did not make the real Gospels. And it didn't make the Quran either, <laughs> just for the record. So, continuing on with the Gospel of James here, this midwife tells Mary she's going to undergo an examination. And Mary is so passive in all of this. And Joseph is just standing there, letting it happen. And the midwife is basically saying, assume the position. And can you imagine trying to read this on a Sunday morning? Now, I should note that the science behind this is pretty sketchy, but this is 2,000 years ago, so just roll with it. The midwife actually puts her finger in there, and then the midwife realizes what she's done and that it's true, and she just goes nuts because she's sure God is about to burn her arm off for this kind of blasphemy. So she apologizes, and an angel forgives her. The wise men contact Herod as the story keeps going, and he goes berserk, and he wants to kill all the babies. But what's different here is that it actually mentions John, as in John the Baptist. So his father, Zechariah, is martyred trying to hide John the Baptist, and he was murdered in the temple of all places. So Herod's people kill Zechariah, the priest, in the temple. And then the priests find a dead Zechariah soon after, and then they appoint a successor to his position, a Zechariah's position, that is. And then in the Gospel of James, the story basically ends. The last chapter is pretty much James telling you, hey, I'm the author. Now, obviously, not a whole ton of that made it into the Quran. So I just wanted to familiarize you with that gospel. And at this point, we'll actually focus on the very few parts of it that did make it into the Quran or have otherwise made their way into Muslim tradition, but things that would be utterly foreign to today's Christians. And in that, I see two major stories slash themes here that stand out. The first is Mary in her chamber as a young woman and receiving food from an angel. And then the second one is the lottery system, uh, you know, the casting of lots, whatever you want to call it, for who would take care of this amazing woman at the temple, which eventually became Zechariah. So first... We have a young Mary being supplied by an angel. This was when her parents left her at the temple. Uh, this is the version from James, or the guy pretending to be James. It says, her parents left 
for home, marveling and praising and glorifying the Lord God, because the child did not look back at them. And Mary lived in the temple of the Lord. She was fed there like a dove, receiving her food from the hand of a heavenly messenger. Now, again, this is very new to Christians, but certainly not to Muslims. Here's the Quran, Surah 3, verse 37. So her Lord accepted her graciously and blessed her with a pleasant upbringing, entrusting her to the care of Zechariah. And whenever Zechariah visited her in the sanctuary, he found her supplied with provisions. And he exclaimed, O Mary, where did this come from? She replied, It is from Allah. Surely Allah provides for whoever he wills without limit. So if you're a Christian kind of thumbing through the Quran for the first time and you, you come across this, you'd be pretty mystified by this whole concept. Why is Mary in the temple? And what is going on? That's because you never heard this version of the gospel, obviously. And that's what's being referenced here is the gospel of James, sort of, or later the gospel of Pseudo-Matthew, I think, uses some of the same material. This idea that Mary's parents left her at the temple under the care of Zechariah. Again, the Quran is not just making this up. It's referencing a story that was obviously somewhat known in the area. So a Muslim may say that part of the Gospel of James is true. Well, at least this part of it, basically chapter 8. This miraculous woman is being fed by angels in the temple of the Lord. And in the very next chapter, we also have the other theme that doesn't make the modern Christianity canon. It's the contest among the temple's most respected men for Mary's guardianship, for the privilege of looking after this extraordinary young woman. And that's where this idea comes from. Although, as I'll show, the Quran's version takes the same theme on a very different path. But you still can't argue that it all began with the Gospel of James. But it certainly didn't end there. Here's the Quran's version of the contest for Mary's guardianship, or actually the reference to this general concept. This is the Quran, Surah 3, verse 44. This is news of the unseen that we reveal to you, O Prophet. You were not with them when they cast lots to decide who would be Mary's guardian nor were you there when they argued about it. Again, a Christian reads this, and it seems strange. What is the Quran talking about here? Casting lots for Mary? I never heard of this. A game of chance for the custody of Jesus' mother? Well, if you read or had heard a story from the Proto-Evangelium of James, you probably would have heard of this. Not that the people in the area likely knew the source. A few people probably had a, a copy of this document handy. I don't know how many of them would even be able to read it if they did. 
it was just mixed in with other Christian stories. And like I said, as much as Byzantium would have hated it, or any Christian kingdom for that matter, these stories in this area, they probably came with a Christian label. Regardless of what orthodoxy was or what had been agreed upon as the gospel canon. And the Arabian version of this story, while it had similarities, over the years it had clearly evolved from the version that is in the Gospel of James. This whole idea of casting lots or a contest of chance for Mary's guardianship. The Quran has this, but it's much more in the mold of, well, a different character of what would become the Islamic Mary. And like I said in earlier episodes, the Islamic Mary is an ascetic, a pure woman, a John the Baptist type, clearly above marriage to any man. So the James version starts with the same concept as the Quran has. This game to say, hey, who's going to take care of Mary? But in this case, it's about getting her a husband rather than getting her a caretaker. And it's here where the stories basically split apart. Because, as you know by now, Joseph is not present in the Islamic version. Zechariah is the caretaker. But in the James version, this is when we are introduced to Joseph. Uh, here's this um, version, the uh, not the Quranic version, but the version from the Proto-Evangelium of James, just to familiarize yourself with it. When she turned 12, there was a meeting of the priests. Look, they said, Mary has turned 12 in the temple of the Lord. What should we do with her so she won't pollute the sanctuary of the Lord our God? where she was kind of being, becoming a woman. And they said to the high priest, you stand at the altar of the Lord, enter and pray about her, and we'll do whatever the Lord God discloses to you. And so the high priest took the vestment with the 12 bells and entered the Holy of Holies and began to pray about her. And suddenly a messenger of the Lord appeared. Zechariah, Zechariah, go out and assemble the widowers of the people and have them each bring a staff. She will become the wife of the one to whom the Lord God shows a sign. And so messengers covered the surrounding territory of Judea. The trumpet of the Lord sounded and all the widowers came running. And Joseph too threw down his carpenter's axe and left for the meeting. When they had all gathered, they went to the high priest with their staffs. After the high priest had collected everyone's staff, he entered the temple and began to pray. When he had finished his prayer, he took the staffs and went out and began to give them back to each man. But there was no sign on any of them. And Joseph got the last staff. And suddenly, a dove came out of this staff and it perched on Joseph's head. Joseph, Joseph, the high priest said, 
you have been chosen by lot to take the virgin of the Lord into your care and protection. But Joseph objected, I already have sons, and I'm an old man. She's only a young woman. I'm afraid that I'll become the butt of jokes among the people of Israel. And then the high priest responded, Joseph, fear the Lord your God and remember what God did to Dathan, Abiron, and Korah. The earth was split open and they were all swallowed up because of their objection. So now, Joseph, you ought to take heed so that the same thing won't happen to your family. And so, out of fear, Joseph took her into his care and protection. He said to her, Mary, I've gotten you from the temple of the Lord, but now I'm leaving you at home. I'm going away to build houses, but I'll come back to you. The Lord will protect you. So we have Joseph as an old man who already has kids, who for some reason goes to the temple, but then wins the prize and decides he doesn't want it. <laughs> and then he brings Mary home. And Joseph says, essentially, hey, I'll be back. God's in charge. So you see here another similarity between the James version and the Islamic version, the motif of God as the ultimate caretaker of Mary. That concept begins here. Joseph shows up, but he only comes to leave. And just in the Islamic version, God is Mary's caretaker. Now, the Islamic version, it takes this all the way, all the way through the birth of Jesus and beyond. But in James, Joseph manages to re-enter the picture when Mary is six months pregnant. So, they're not the same stories. Not even close. But you can see where the general concepts that the Quran is referencing may have originated and evolved after many centuries of not being codified and may have been known to the less conventional Christians in the area that were, so to speak, removed from mainstream civilization or mainstream Christendom. And really, who knows what was being said around the wells and sand dunes of 7th century Arabia. But this can give you some idea, and a good frame of mind for what may have been considered Christian thought at that place and at that time. And speaking of that place and that time, we will be going to writings far closer to Muhammad's time after this. Uh, next, probably with the Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew and then the Arabic Infancy Gospel. The Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew used this Gospel, the Gospel of James or the Proto-Evangelium of James, you know, the one that we just discussed. It probably used that as a source, kind of the way Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source in the canonical Gospels. And some of that material made it into the Quran particularly many of the general scene that we see in the Islamic version of Jesus's birth, where, once again, God and God only is the one who is taking care of Mary. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time.
insha'Allah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.